Welcome to the Lewis Jonker Podcast. Lewis is a speaker, storyteller, preacher and poet. Hope you get something out of this talk. I'm uh, celebrating the launch of the Barbie movie this morning. This book is my Lutheran study Bible, which I got when I graduated year seven in uh, my Lutheran primary school. And this study Bible essentially informs the majority of the sermons that I preach here at MBBC. Every time I write a sermon, I'm heading straight to this book first to read the commentary in the bottom half of the book. Uh, My Lutheran upbringing means an app. Means, means so much to me. I think I was in a Lutheran church from zero to 18, and it informs everything I do, and I love the Lutheran church. Uh, in still part of me, although I am here a pastor at a Baptist church, and I absolutely love it, there's still some things about the Lutheran church that I hold dear, the way that they conduct worship, the way that they unpack the scriptures, the way that they do community. Therefore, it stands to reason that when coming to the book of James... I'd be very interested in the words of Martin Luther. And Martin Luther had a tricky relationship with the book of James. Uh, Throughout the 1500s, he seemed to be like on a seesaw. At one moment, he would love the book of James, and in another writing, he would seem to discredit it completely. And during the 1500s, one of the things that Martin Luther said was that the book of James was an epistle of straw, or a letter of straw. He was concerned because... Well, the word Jesus and talking about Jesus, it sort of just vaguely happens in the book of James only twice. And he would say a book in the Bible should be full of stories about Jesus. Has he read the book of James? He also thought, well, this book seems a bit harsh. It seems contrary to the writings of Paul, which are full of grace and full of gospel. But the book of James seems very harsh and very directive. How can that be possible? And so he said, well, all all the other epistles are epistles of gospel, and this is an epistle of straw. And theologians over the years have taken that to mean that Martin Luther would prefer the book to be taken out of the Bible completely, completely removed. And although Martin Luther had strong views, I believe that is a wrong opinion of what Martin Luther was trying to say. My Lutheran study Bible says that we forget... Although straw was cheap and straw was easy to come by, it was also incredibly useful. When Martin Luther went to bed at night, he slept on a mattress of straw. This book is simple. It's directive, it's easy, and it's full of wisdom. But it is also incredibly practical. This is the sort of teaching you can rest your head on at night and take to bed with you. So I'm going to unpack our scriptures this morning, and there were so many. The way that we've organized the book of James is like, I've got, we've done it in chunks, and just every sentence was good. And when I prepare a sermon, I'm always trying to be as creative as possible, and I thought, well, I could take this verse, or I could take this verse, and I could be creative, and I could create analogies, but then I thought, every verse is just too good. So I'm just going to go through line by line and teach from the scripture, Uh, unpacking some of the stuff that my study Bible says, unpacking some of the stuff I learned throughout my study during the week. We're just going to go through line by line and see if we can learn together. Can we dig for the gold this morning? I'm excited. 
The only problem with a big book like this with very thin pages is very hard to find, um, very hard to find your page. So give me one second. I'm always confused. My little tabs, the book of James isn't J-A-M, it's J-A-S. James, J-A-S is how they abbreviate the book of James. And uh, that's very exciting. <laughs> I should know it up by heart. It's a smaller book. Sorry, just bear with me for one second. We are there. We're going from James 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Know this, my beloved brothers. As I've been reading through this book, and although some parts of it seem very harsh or very straight shooting, I thought this line stood out to me. Know this, my beloved brothers. We know that the book of James, we learnt in the first chapter, is written to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So James is writing to Jewish people, people that he loves and cares about. And I was thinking that we need to remember this as we read through this book, as some of it might seem harsh or some of it might seem directive, that James is talking to people that he loves, my beloved brothers. His teaching and his instruction should be through this lens. Everything we read in this book, we should go, he is speaking from a place of love. I also, look, I also love this line here, let every person. I think there's two kinds of people when it comes to reading the scriptures, or I think, my, let me rephrase that, I think I can be two kinds of person when reading the scripture. The first is when I read the scripture and I read a line like, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and I think, yes, I should be, I should be slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger. I think sometimes when I'm not really in the most spiritual place, I can read it a different way. I can read it like, yes, that person should be quick to hear, slow to speak. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we can read the scripture through lens of what other people should be doing. But James is pretty clear here. Let every person, he's speaking to me, he's speaking to you, he's speaking to us. We should be reading this for ourselves, not just to inform our ideas of what everyone else should be doing around us. Quick to hear. James is almost like the book of Proverbs. He like hits us with wisdom. He hits us with wisdom. And it seems like he actually stole from the book of Proverbs. Let's have a look. Quick to hear. Proverbs 1.15. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Slow to speak, Proverbs 10.19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. And slow to anger, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, the, the author, James, is he's writing the words. If I, was, if I was James, I would think, well, the Jewish people have the book of Proverbs. What's the point of repeating it? Why should I tell them all this again? They've got the book of Proverbs. Just let them read the book of Proverbs. James could have sat down and just, you know, his letter could have essentially been um, 
12 tribes scattered abroad, please read the book of Proverbs. But he doesn't. He says it again. And I wonder if James knows something that we all know. Sometimes we need to be told things multiple times. You know, when I'm at youth ministry on a Friday night, on the nights that we do talks, sometimes my talks are very similar. It's almost like I'm preaching the same thing again and again, this gospel that we all know. I'm just saying the same thing again and again. And maybe the kids who have been around a long time get sort of bored of that simple gospel teaching. But sometimes we need to hear the same thing again and again. Slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When I'm driving, I'm quite well known for being late for most things. And uh, I like to blame, blame everyone else. You know, I like to blame all the people on the road who are doing the speed limit. When, when I'm stuck beside someone particularly slow, I think I can get a bit frustrated and angry. Sometimes I can make a grunting sound, you know. What's happening? What's happening here? Not once in my life has grunting or getting angry or forming any sort of hand gesture or forming any sort of language with my mouth. Not once has it ever sped up my trip. Anger doesn't work. Anger doesn't work. I heard a story recently and it reminded me of one of my Lutheran pastors, Pastor Greg Graham. He became a Christian much later in life. His wife was a Christian and he became a Christian at like the age of 40 and at the age of 40 decided to enter seminary and become a Lutheran pastor. And that's five years of hard work. Lutheran pastors need to learn Greek and Hebrew before they can be pastors, so much so that my Lutheran pastor, Greg Graham, would write every sermon in Greek and preach it in English just so he wouldn't forget it. A great man made that decision at 40 years old. He told this story once in a sermon that he was mowing the lawn and he said he was always an angry man. And he worked with people and, and uh, people made him angry everywhere. He was angry at life, angry at work, angry at children, angry, 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 angry. And he says he remembers vividly the moment he was saved. He was mowing the lawn, particularly angry about a specific moment. Mowing the lawn, mowing the lawn, just stressing while he's mowing the lawn, just over and over again in his head, mowing the lawn, mowing the lawn. Not a Christian man, but angry, but angry, but angry. And in the moment of anger, he thought about his wife, who was a Christian. And in that moment... He had this fleeting thought, if this is real, maybe anger could go away if I was to believe in Jesus. And so he's angry, 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 angry. And he stops. He says, God, if you're real, take this anger from me. And in that moment, he said, the anger left. He became a Christian and entered Bible college. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen for every one of us. But anger doesn't work. Righteousness comes from Christ and our belief in him. And when my Lutheran pastor, Greg Graham, turned to Jesus, his anger left and righteousness came through. Pretty amazing. I don't know if any of you have a similar story. I'm sure some of you do. I don't know if some of you need to go mow the lawn this afternoon and 
Pray that God would take your anger. <laughs> I live in an apartment. I don't have lawn, so I guess I'm just going to have to live with it. Just kidding. <laughs> we can all find ways to pray. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. If James was an angry man, you can imagine him wagging his finger. Therefore, put away all your filthiness and your rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. But I wonder if James isn't wagging his finger. I wonder if he's inviting us into a better way to live. Would you like to hear a joke? Would you like to hear a dirty joke? The boy fell in the mud. Mm. This is me in Israel near the Dead Sea, uh, covered in mud. I was very filthy. This word filthiness here, when I look it up in the Greek, literally means, like, it comes from the word dirt. It literally means dirty, like covered in dirt. That's literally what this word means. Uh, put it, therefore, put away all filthiness. And here I was covered in mud and dirt and filthy. Recently, I decided to clean my white shoes. They'd gotten very dirty. And so, I found some gumption and toothbrush, and I went to work. And I tell you what, they're sparkling and new. Can't you see them? They're shining in the lights. You know, when I go wear my shoes into the world, it's not the shoes' fault that they get dirty. When we go out and about in the world, when we live our lives, it'd be so easy to get covered in the dirt. When I go to Israel in the Dead Sea and there's just mud everywhere and your feet are sinking in and you're just getting cut, it's, it's almost like it's unavoidable. But this is what I know. Dirt can always be washed off. I can always get the gumption and the toothbrush. I can always get in the water, under the shower and get clean. I know for me that putting away my filthiness is coming back to Jesus again and again, the one who can save me, the one who can clean me from all that filth. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant, rampant wickedness. This word wickedness is a strong word. It's a very strong word in the Greek. Malignity, persistent, intense, ill will or desire to harm others. I was struck by this word. I think Christians can sometimes throw around the word wicked too much. Now, there's plenty of Bible verses that would point to the idea of original sin. I believe we come into this world broken and sinful. I really do. Each and every one of us needs to be saved. Each have fallen short of the glory of God from the moment we are born. We all need Jesus. But I think we can throw around this word wickedness too much. Persistent, intense, ill will or desire to harm others. I think I want to be careful with this word. I don't think I want to use it too much to label others. I think it's much best used when we're trying to label ourselves when we know we are in a moment of persistent, intense ill will or desire to harm others. The truth is we do live in a world where wickedness exists. There are people that take drugs to nightclubs to put in people's drinks. There are warlords in Africa who... Uh, steal children and bring them into armies. 
We're all involved in a little bit of wickedness. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard of blood minerals. You might have heard of blood diamonds, diamonds that are unethical um, mined because, you know, it's very unethical work environments in those mines. Uh, but you very rarely hear of blood minerals. There is a mineral or a metal in our phones that helps it vibrate. You know, anything that vibrates, any bit of technology that vibrates, there's this tiny little bit of metal in our phones that causes our phone to vibrate. I forget the name of it, but I know it's a blood metal, which means the way that the tech companies get that metal is through incredibly unethical mining situations in foreign countries, something that we all participate in. The saddest part is those companies know there's unethical clothing, there's unethical chocolate, there's unethical... Perhaps we as Christians could be part of the solution to put away the dirt and to put away the wickedness and receive with meekness, uh, with gentle humility, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Which reminds me, of course, of the parable of the sower. How do we receive the implanted word? Well, we have to be good soil. We have to be ready to receive it. I don't un have time to unpack this scripture from Matthew 19, but I encourage you to go home and read again the parable of the sower. The idea of the, the farmer who goes out and, and scatters the seed and some falls on the path and some falls in the weeds and some falls on the rocks and some falls on the good soil and the seed that falls on the good soil, it's implanted and it grows and it springs forth. That's what I want to be like. I want to be someone who can receive the implanted word of God, but not just for me. I want it to grow out of me. I want to create more seed for others. This is important. I don't just want to hear the word. I want it to spring forth. I want it to clean me from all my dirt. I want to be able to take it into this wicked world where wickedness is rampant. And I want to be someone who can engage in ethical practices. And I want to be someone who can protect people from wickedness. I want to shine a new way and shine a new light. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. I loved this during my study. This word, doers, this word, doers, be doers of the word. I love this word right here. The word in Greek means a maker, inventor, lawgiver, composer of a poem, a composer of music, the author of a speech. Not just to do it, but be a maker of the word, be a composer of the word. I just thought this was like interesting language to use about like putting the word of God into our lives to be a maker of it. What could this mean? And what is the word word here referring to? The author here is certainly referring to the Jewish law. He's writing to Jews and he's certainly referring to the Jewish law. All theologians, most theologians would agree with that. I shouldn't speak in, um, what do you call that when you speak in too many, um, 
Yep. Absolutes. I shouldn't speak in absolutes. Most uh, theologians would agree he's referring to the Jewish law. Uh, But it is also important for us as the reader to understand that Jesus fulfills the law. And John talks about the word being Christ himself. The uh, The other books of the Bible talk about the word being written on our hearts. So uh, we need to understand that this word here can for us refer to the idea of uh, Christ and how he has fulfilled the law in us. And when we trust in him, we have the righteousness he gives us. He fulfilled the law in our place and we can trust in him and his teaching and his words. Uh, Do unto others as you want done unto you. This fulfills all the law and prophets. Be doers of that. Be doers of the gospel. Be doers of the kingdom. Be doers of Christ. Be makers. 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 I wrote some lines that this made me think of. I don't just want to have joy. Let's take a gospel principle. I don't just want Jesus to come into my life and be implanted. I just want to have joy. I want to create joy. I want to have love, joy, and peace, absolutely. And I want to be someone smiling, and I want to be peaceful when I lay my head on the pillow, and I want to have a lot of peace. But what if I could create love, joy, and peace? What if the implanted word could spring forth from me in a way that doesn't just affect me, but I can go into youth on a Friday night, and I can create joy, and I can create love, and I can create peace? What if I can work, walk into my workplace... Um, I guess it's different figures. I work in a church. But what if I can walk into my workplace and put yourself in, I'll put myself in any of your shoes. What if we walk into our workplaces and we create love, create joy, create peace? Not just to have it for ourselves, but to create it. I think that's cool. And I don't just want to see the light and seeing the light is good. I don't just want to see the light. I want to create light. I want to be the light. I want to walk into all filthiness and wickedness and be light in the darkness. Not just to see it. The Apostle Paul sees the light when he's out persecuting Christians and he runs away. The Apostle Paul, he runs away from persecuting persecuting Christians and harming Christians. And he, he was a wicked man by all means. He, he persistently had ill will, will towards others. He wanted to hurt people and he sees the light. He comes to Jesus. It would have been very easy for him just to stop persecuting people. It would have been very easy just for him to wash clean of all his dirt and to put aside his persistent ill will towards others. But he doesn't just do that. He goes on to create light. He goes on to be love, joy, and peace. He goes on to write half the New Testament. He goes on to save people and heal and and to, to bring life. I don't want to just be the kind of Christian who sees the light. I want to be the light. I want to be a maker of the gospel, a maker of the kingdom, not just a hearer of it. So to deceive myself. I like this point, deceiving yourselves. It doesn't say be a doer of the word, not just a hearer, so you don't deceive others. It says so you don't deceive yourself. When we're just a hearer of the word, I I think the person we're letting down most is ourselves. Not others. Not others. Ourselves. I don't want to deceive myself. I don't want to let myself down. I want to put this word into practice. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. This is a pretty cool Bible verse. My Lutheran study Bible unpacks this really, really well. Uh, Verses 1, 23 to 24. The mirror of the word shows us our sin, but even more it reveals the righteousness we already have in Christ. However, someone who leaves the perfect image by not living a righteous life as taught in the word turns away from righteousness. It is necessary to do good works. This does not mean that we will merit grace by doing good works, but because it is God's will. The mirror of the word shows us our sin, but even more it reveals the righteousness we already have in Christ. When we come to the word and we read the law and we read the words of Jesus, it can convict us. It can go, oh, wow, I can see that in myself some of that dirtiness and some of that wickedness. But also when I come to the word as a believer in Jesus, it reminds me and reveals to me the righteousness I have in Christ as it reflects back to me all the things I believe and know about the goodness of God. So the word helps us reflect on our sin and the word helps us reflect on our righteousness. I think sometimes I've been a bit too, um, I've been a bit too like thinking about the person who looks at himself in the mirror and forgets what he looks like. I've always taken that to mean, well, that person's probably a little bit silly. Do you know what I mean? What, what, how silly could you be to look at yourself in a mirror and then forget what you look like? But I was looking in the mirror the other day and I saw this freckle here and I thought, I swear I've never seen that before in my life. And sometimes in the morning, I go to the mirror and I do my hair and it looks all nice. And then I go back later in the day and I look in the mirror and I think, wow, I've spent all day looking like that. (laughs) You know what? It might actually be pretty easy to forget what we look like in the mirror. Our faces are always changing. My beard changes length. My hair changes length. Sometimes when I think of myself, I think of the pre-COVID days, Lewis with short hair. Even though I've just looked in the mirror and seen myself with long hair, it can be easy to forget what we look like. Maybe it doesn't make us a fool. Maybe it's just how it is. Do you know how we remember? We go back to the mirror. Why do you think mirrors are everywhere? They've got them on the, on the sun shield of your car. Women carry them around in their purse. Except now guys do it just as much as just I look at myself in my phone camera. We need constant reminder of what we look like. We need to keep coming back to the word. We need to keep remembering Christ. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. But the one who looks into the perfect law, Psalm 19, verse 7, James is stolen again from the Old Testament. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. Sometimes we need a bit of straw. Sometimes the simple things we need reminding of. And God's word does that, the perfect law, the law of liberty, 
We know that Jesus fulfilled the law. We know the law is written on our hearts as the Spirit comes into our lives. We know do unto others as you want done unto you. This sums up all the law and prophets. We know that the Word is Christ, that Jesus could be seen as this law of liberty. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Christ is our righteousness. When Christ comes into our life, the living word, he sets us free and you will be free indeed. But you do have to persevere. All of these words in these scriptures are important. You can't leave out any word. And there's two words in the middle of this sentence. The sentence could just be, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. But he adds these two words, and perseveres. It can be easy to give up. It can be so easy to stop going back to the word, whether it be like this book or whether it be Christ himself. Can't it be so easy to not persevere? But if James was in the room, I don't think he would be wagging his finger. I don't think he'd be wagging his finger. You better go back to the word. You better go back to the word. I think if James was in the room with us, he'd be saying, hey, there is a blessing that you can have in Christ, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I know it's hard. But keep going back to him. I know it's hard, but persevere. And you will be blessed, and he will be blessed in his doing. You are blessed in the doing, not because of. This is this is fairly important. It would be wrong to preach this verse. It would be wrong to preach in general that if you gave more money to the church, you could be blessed <laughs> in the physical. It would be wrong to preach that if you gave money to the church, you could be blessed with a miracle healing. It would be wrong to believe that if you go into the world and you act perfectly and you do good, your life's going to work out and you're going to have blessing left, right and centre. You are not blessed because of your doing. You will not be blessed because of anything you do. You will be blessed in your doing when you go into your workplace and you make love let me rephrase that when, when, when you go into your workplace and you create love and you create joy and you create peace well I think you're going to have a bit more of a blessed day at work I think in bringing joy to others you're going to experience some joy yourself you're blessed in the doing when you go and do good works, when you help at the local homeless shelter, when you serve on any of our teams at church, when you go into your workplace and do good, you're blessed in your doing, not because of your doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I don't know much about horses, but I am from the country and I have been on one. 
my auntie and uncle's farm. I look really cool in this photo, uh, but there is a rope going off the side. My auntie definitely thought that I was going to fall off that horse. And so she's, uh, she is controlling the bridle in this case, off to the side here. I was thinking about this and how this verse could be used to cause people to not speak up or to be quiet. Um, the biggest danger about the, this book, the book of James, and some of these scriptures is how it can be used to manipulate people potentially. If there was a, a wicked pastor and that wicked pastor wanted to control a congregation, you could use these verses to make people be quiet. You could say things like, be quick to listen. You could say that to someone else in order to shut them up. And there's stories after stories of pastors using these, this sort of language from the word to shut people up. Don't question me. You should be quick to listen without taking it to heart themselves. Same with this. You could say something to someone about, like, you need to bridle your tongue. If someone came and questioned you, you could say, that person needs to bridle their tongue. Or if someone was sharing some important information, so that person needs to bridle their tongue, you get angry at them. But I was thinking about what a bridle actually does. It doesn't just stop a horse from moving. It controls the horse. Some horses jump. Some horses <laughs> maintain law and liberty. Some horses race real fast. Some horses go into battle. I don't think this verse is about being quiet. I think this verse is about controlling your tongue. Sometimes it is important to speak up. We just have to be in control when we do. Sometimes it's important to go for a light trot, to bridle your tongue. Sometimes it's important to jump and share the gospel far and wide. Sometimes it's important to maintain law and liberty. You might have to use your words to do that. Sometimes it is important to race. Sometimes it's important to go into battle. The bridle doesn't stop the horse, it controls it. This verse is not saying, be quiet. This verse is saying, be wise. Be wise. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I'm going to do a little side note here. My biggest pet peeve in the church, and sorry if you say this, sorry if you say this, I'm not judging if you say this, I'm just going to say it's my biggest pet peeve and I understand where you're coming from and why you would say it, I understand why it is helpful for people, but I'm going to say what my biggest pet peeve is and if you say this, I'm not saying you have to stop saying this, it's just my biggest pet peeve. When people say... It's not a religion, it's a relationship. Has anyone ever heard that? Maybe you've said it yourself. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. This is my biggest pet peeve. I'll give you a quick rundown on why it's my biggest pet peeve because it, the word in English, religion, literally means to believe in a supernatural God, which I do. And the word, when you look at the etymology, it's, it's all about like binding like sinews and like, um, like tendons and stuff like that. So it's literally to bind, like to be bound to a supernatural power. And I have a religion. I, I feel like I am connected and bound to my supernatural God. And so I actually think the better sentence would be, it's a religion and a relationship. 
not, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. So when people ask me if I'm religious, I say, yes, I'm religious. Because when people ask me if I'm religious, they're not asking me if I walk around my house with a chain ball of smoke. They're asking me, do I go to church? So when someone asks me if I'm religious, I say, yeah, I'm religious and I'm pretty, you know, pretty active in my local church and I have a really good relationship with my God. I speak to him, he speaks to me. That's sort of how I would define that. And uh, even in the Greek, it really does mean uh, a belief and a worship in a God. We all have a belief and we all worship something, even if it's not a God. Everyone out there has a religion. But religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. And we've all seen religion that's not so pure. I don't even have to delve deep into it. You've seen it. I've seen it. We live in a broken world. But religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows. I don't want to just, um, you know, just only use these two words. I think in context, in that time period when this book was written, uh, orphans and widows, they were really the helpless people of the world, the helpless who can offer us nothing in return. In our world, the helpless might look different to just orphans and widows. There are a lot of helpless people who can offer us nothing in return. How would our pure religion help those people? I didn't circle this word, but I really like this word visit, to visit orphans and widows in their reflection. My dad is really good mechanic. He's great with engines and he loves boats. I think I've said it before. My dad loves so much, boats so much, I'm named after boats. Lewis is a brand of ski boat. Ramsey's a brand of ski boat. That's my middle name. My dad loves boats. He was in the Navy for 20 years. He was a, was a stoke. He was a shipwright. And uh, he's very good with engines. Like, every day I'd come home from school and dad would be in the garage working on the boat engine and I'd be thinking, it's already working. How could he possibly make it any better? I think he really just loved that. I think it was like his hobby to look at the engine unceasingly and to try and make it milliseconds faster. <laughs> uh, but my dad would also always get invited to help other people with their boats. Everyone knew he was good with boats, so other people would ask him to help with their boats. And I remember him talking about some people once. <laughs> I guess this was like a form of an insult. I'm going to have to try and get it right. Something along the lines of, that person thinks you can fix problems by throwing money at it. When some people think with boats, you just got to keep throwing money at them, 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 keep throwing money at them. But my dad knows you actually got to get in the engine and do some work because sometimes the mechanics are just ripping you off. Sometimes that new part's not going to fix everything. Sometimes you need to get in and get your hands dirty. To visit the orphans and widows in their reflection, not to throw money. We don't just throw money at the helpless, people that can offer us nothing in return. It's much more holy and pure and undeviled to visit them. It's beautiful to do both. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pretty impossible not to get stained and dirty. Remember my shoes? If you put them on, 
and you walk out into that world, they're going to get dirty. I honestly think shoe companies know that. That's why white shoes are in fashion. Because they know you're going to buy the sprays to keep them clean. <laughs> they know you're going to be back at some point to buy a new pair. <laughs> I honestly think that's why white shoes are in fashion now. How do we remain unstained from the world? Probably my, one of my favourite songs that I used to sing when I was a teenager with my guitar, badly, on a mountain. And there was no one watching. Just, Lutheran Church doesn't have stages or worship teams. It was just me and a guitar. And I would sing, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Mm. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I know it, you know it, we know why we come here every Sunday, not just to sing songs, not just to listen to some person like me speak, we come here because of what Jesus did for us, he keeps us unstained from the world. If you're new to church, maybe you're young and just exploring this, or maybe it's your first time in here, we really believe this stuff, that's why we show up here. I'd love to have a conversation with you after the service. This stuff's real. It made me whole. It keeps me unstained from the world. And James would be sitting there going, hey, 12 tribes of Israel scattered abroad, come and taste this. Come and see the gumption and toothbrush that I have for you. The book of James, the epistle of straw, real practical stuff. I wonder if we can take some of the teachings we've learned today and rest our head on them. I wonder if we go to bed tonight, we can think about some of these things. Being slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. All of those are just very practical advice. Anger won't help you. <laughs> Or maybe we need to remember the law of liberty, the, the Jesus that set us free. Maybe we need to remember to go and visit orphans and widows or more accurately the people who are helpless, who need us. Maybe when you go to bed tonight you can pray about how these scriptures can speak to you and I invite you to read through them again. James 1, 19 to 27. I just want to end with the prayer that my 
Lutheran Study Bible says. Actually, let me just read this whole paragraph and then the band can come up. James encourages Christians to return to the word, to take comfort in the gospel, to live righteous lives focused on service towards others. We also know the kind of lives God calls us to lead, yet too easily we turn away from that calling. God, who implanted his word in us and justified us in Christ, now calls us to bless others. He honours us by using us to bring his love to all people, especially those whom the world ignores. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Hold it continually before me and bring me to hear it preached and taught. May it be rooted deep inside me that it may transform me into your righteous servant. Amen.